I have a good and worthy task today, which is to speak a word of instruction and encouragement and vision to the whole church by speaking directly to the confirmands and to the person being received, which is logical. Confirmation calls for renewed discipleship, which is God's call to all of us. So you're being called today to renewed discipleship. And to that end, I want to springboard from the familiar story that we heard from Mark chapter 6. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, or if you have it on your phone, you're welcome to do that as long as that little thing is quiet. Now, there's so much that can be said from this text. It's such a great text, but I want to reflect uh, in a focused way on Jesus' direct actions and how he directs his disciples and what that tells us about his priorities and his ministries for us in the world. Really, some essential things that he wants us to do as his followers. So let me begin by a quick review. The first phrase of the gospel reading clues us to look in the larger context, right? The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Well, where had they returned from? If you look back in verses 7 through 13, they had been in Galilee. The 12 apostles had been sent out in pairs to do a special forces kingdom mission. It was very lean. It was very stripped down. It was very unencumbered. It was very urgent. It was very focused. It was a moment in time when they were sent to penetrate as fast and as far as they could in Galilee with the gospel. It was an exciting time. It was a dynamic time this special forces mission, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, you just can't think about special forces mission without realizing you're going to be on edge, right? In verse 30, in that context, they returned and told Jesus all that they had done and taught. They debriefed with Jesus. They spilled out the stories. I remember for the years that I was a youth pastor and for years when I was a pastor of a local church, whatever we would do, we'd have a retreat, if it was a youth, youth retreat, if we had a retreat, men's retreat, women's retreat, whatever we were doing as a church, couples retreat, you know, whatever. We'd get back together and the leaders would all go, how to go? What happened? What did we learn? What worked? You know, what was impacted? Who was impacted? How? And we do these things to celebrate and to express gratitude and to learn and to grow. But I want you to just catch a simple point. This was not just the apostles debriefing and telling their stories around the campfire. This is God incarnate asking his disciples to tell him what they had experienced, to have a conversation with him. God the Son wants his followers to talk with him about what they have done and experienced. And that's a normal part of our life as we go in and out, go in and out. And sometimes I think the, the most obvious thing, we just kind of forget it. You know, we think about it, we may talk to each other, but we forget the fact that Jesus wants to be a part of the conversation. In verse 31, Jesus says they needed more time, mainly to rest and recover from what was very, probably a very physically taxing thing, but also uh, just to keep debriefing. So he says, come away by yourselves with me. And in my translation, in verse 31 and verse 32, it refers to a desolate place, a deserted place, as it was read to us today. Alone undistracted, restful time with close friends, ministry partners, and with Jesus to talk with him. And that was a priority for him, that debriefing rest. But you know what happened, right? Verse 33, some crowds knew about it, went ahead, and they moved in and crashed the party. So this cherished debriefing time of, lear and lear time of learning 
had to be put on pause. Jesus' response is kind of important to me because most of the time when people crash into my plans, I am irritated. Jesus had compassion. He saw them on a deeper spiritual condition. And when I read this, I have to wonder how many times do I, am I willing to look at the deeper spiritual condition of the person who's interrupting me and to have compassion and at least think about it. And Jesus cared for the state of their souls and he was willing to set aside a planned retreat which was important to him because there was an opportunity and a need to care for shepherdless people. State of confusion. How did he care for them? And this is, I think, one of the most important points of the story. He began to teach them many things. The condition of their heart caused Jesus to focus on truth, on God's truth, on instructions and promises and direction and counsel and food for their souls, which again should cause us, it certainly causes me to ask questions, because how do I help people? How do we help people that are spiritually shepherdless, unprovided, unprotected? Our first instinct is probably to put our arms around them, give them a hug, and then say some quick slogan to them, hoping it'll make them feel good, and then we'll go do something else, right? We want to make them feel better. And that might be a good first step. I mean, Jesus was not shy about physical touch, if you look at the Gospels. But he went beyond that, and he taught them. And he began to address these deeper things that were going on in their soul, to, to form their thoughts and their understandings, so that they had tools and equipment for actually continuing on a life in a different trajectory. And it was long enough and deep enough, apparently, that they got hungry. And this was not even just an hour or two. This was an all-day event. They needed physical sustenance. And so again, it just impresses me that we are so quick to try to put our arm around, say something nice, and hope that's all okay. I'll say a prayer for you. All of that's good. But I wonder how much we underestimate the fact that people need to be taught and instructed and counseled and encouraged on how to think differently, what to believe, what is the truth about God that will change the ways we see the world. And that's the people out there. You know, we come for that, but that's the, pe that's the shepherdless people, right? Well, verse 35, you know the story. Well, this desolate place was, meant that there was no village nearby. There was no market for the food. And Jesus says, I want you to feed them. And they go, what in the world are we supposed to do? And you know the story. The story develops. Basically, Jesus says, join with me in finding provision for the practical needs of the people. And a miracle begins to unfold. A miracle of God's provision. That's all I'm going to say about another run through, but it causes me to focus on four priorities for individual disciples, for the confirmands, and, the, and for Ashley being received, but for us as a church, for all of us. Four priorities. And I'm going to just sort of flag them, and I'm going to leave it up to Dave to tell you what they mean later on, okay? <laughs> I'll check on you, buddy. Okay. First, we observed that Jesus was passionate to get the gospel out far and wide, right? which leads to a clear priority. God calls us to be involved in a regular lifestyle of intentional mission and kingdom intervention. If you look back at the mission that they were on, it is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to cast out demons, to confront the forces of evil, and to urgently proclaim Christ. 
That was not a confrontive tone necessarily, but certainly confrontive in terms of directly countering the powers and systems of evil. And by the way, confirmands, we didn't talk about this, but traditionally and historically and liturgically, confirmation is a opposition to evil too. You're standing in opposition to evil. And I think, again, we underestimate the call of God to us as believers in Jesus Christ to not only pronounce the good news, but in pronouncing the good news to pronounce deliverance. You know what? Jesus is the only... Let me just say it a different way. I'm going to start over that sentence. People that we run into all along are longing for life and for life eternal. There's this idea, you know, somehow or another, there's this belief that on the other side of this life, there is another life. And there's this longing for that. Do you realize, do I realize, do we realize that the only hope of that is the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ? That is the good news, guys. That is, that is good news. There, the longing has an answer. Evil has been defeated. The hour of darkness, Luke chapter 22, is over. The hour of darkness. Here's your hour. Now here's the eternal day. And I welcome you into it. Guys, that's good news. But it takes the confrontation and the announcement. And the need is urgent because there are counterfeit gospels being proclaimed in the world, right? There's the gospel of politics. There's the gospel of Americanism. The most pervasive gospels that run through are the gospels of technology, the gospel of sexual freedom and pleasure, and the gospel of secularism. That's sort of the summary total. The belief in humanity that we can make heaven on earth through our intelligence, our technology, our education, our politics, our medicine, our wealth, and we don't need any outside intervention from God. In fact, God gets in the way of our truest self. Well, all of these reveal deeper issues of what it means to be truly human, to find our purposes and our identity and our meaning and our hope. And that's what we are to engage with. We're to be able to talk about that. The other Gospels, and, I, and I, do please hear me, if you kind of dig into these other Gospels of technology and medicine and all these things, they offer some good things. I'm, I'm standing here today really grateful for radiation treatment for cancer. <laughs> grateful for that. So it's not that this is not, there's not God's, God's good will for humanity is he's given us all sorts of good things to do. But the Gospels, the alternative Gospels, also include deeper destructive elements that will eventually rob us of life because they prevent us from believing in Christ. And so it takes time and thought and conversation and study to sort the wheat from the tares in these conversations. And we must understand the truth of the gospel and how it counters the counterfeit gospel and speaks a better story. And the church, the sacramental community, has an urgent task, a special forces operation with weapons of spiritual power and gospel truth and wisdom. Second observation. As we live this life of intentional mission, we need regular debriefing and rest, which leads to another priority. Jesus calls his people to regular rhythms of spiritual rest and reflection and restoration. Sounds good, doesn't it? The story tells us something. Those are very hard to find. 
It was hard for Jesus and his disciples to capture that moment. So let me give you a couple of tips and thoughts. Number one, strengthen your own spiritual disciplines because you can pull away personally. Henry Nouwen says foundational spiritual disciplines are solitude, silence, and prayer. Do you know what the first two are about? Solitude, a desolate place. Silence, quiet. Prayer, conversation. Remember that Jesus wants to talk with us. Listening prayer. So when you have a moment to grab rest, remember to include Jesus, okay? I have found over the course of my life how incredibly unsatisfying my efforts to grab me time are. Because I often intentionally say, I've been working for you, Jesus. I want some me time. And it never works. That movie I watched, that game I played, doesn't satisfy my soul. And I've learned as I've gotten a little bit older that I'm really better off to believe that Jesus is telling me the truth when he says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. So that I can have a conversation with Jesus and actually listen to him in terms of what his invitation to rest is versus what I think I want to make me feel good. Let Jesus in and your time of rest. But I also am profoundly captivated by the reality that we also have an opportunity for rest every week as we regather for worship. Anglican worship, and I don't mean Anglican like in some special sense, I think it's the worship that God gives his church and it just happens to be something we've received. But it means that we are coming back to be restored each week in the gospel. Our Anglican services, I think one of the things that I love about this tradition, and it, it is part of the great tradition, if you know that term. So again, I want to keep going. It's not that we're so special, okay? But it's the way that it's come to us, this great tradition. The gospel is proclaimed about seven or eight times in every Anglican service, if you'll listen and receive it. It just is embodied in all we do. And we're coming back to be restored. We come into the presence of God behind the cross because the only way we can come into the presence of God is through Jesus and his cross. We leave when we go out here to go and serve the world, right? And 160 hours later, we come back to be restored. And the climax of our restoration is being given the very life of Christ. So understand that this is such an important part of the resting process. And pray that this time when you come together for you and for everybody else will be a time of restorative rest. Another observation that we've made. Jesus sets the example of seeing the world with compassion, seeing the emotional and spiritual state of people. The battle against evil that we talked about this first, the special forces mission must be done through eyes and hands and words laced with compassion. People without Christ are people without a shepherd. And the enormous pain is underneath of what that happens around, you know, what is happening around us. But I do want us to again go back and say, remember Jesus' own methodology for addressing the pain. It was teaching, teaching the truth. The ways of God, the will of God, the precepts and principles, the stories of how God works. And what hits me about this, dear brothers and sisters, is that talking to somebody about Christ, the shepherdless people, requires a real investment in time and a, will a willingness to relax into the conversation. 
Statistically, right now, they say it takes seven years for a non-Christian to become a Christian. How many encounters and conversations happen along that way? Are we willing to walk with somebody for seven years to listen to their hearts? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 22, wisdom scales the high walls and the strongholds that a man trusts in and finds ways to bring it down with compassion. And we need to be equipped, church, to that capacity. Our world is rocking and reeling from emotion and fear and crisis, and we're like a ball in a ping pong game. And Christ wants to bring truth, to bring us stability, to anchor our souls, to give us hope and purpose and encouragement. Finally, the disciples are commanded to participate with Christ in miraculously meeting practical physical needs through resources he provides. And the church, I believe, should be fully about works of compassion, works for the vulnerable, the needy, the marginalized, the strangers, the importance of healing ministries, the radical provision of people for the poor, works of biblical justice, things that are costly and that we need his provision for. But I want to read to you, by way of encouragement, one of my very favorite passages in Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you. That always, having all sufficient at all, in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is willing to give you what you need to be radically, miraculously involved in meeting people's needs. Just open up your hands and ask. As it is written, he distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, miracle there, guys, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Dear brothers and sisters, I can't think of, God, of a promise where God has put himself more on the line than that one. He is able to provide miraculously so that we can be part of a miracle of meeting needs. And I want us to think very physically, seed, generous in all things, all times, all people, all things. So to review, as disciples of Christ, we're called to share and embody the priorities of Jesus. Moments, seasons of targeted gospel proclamation and confrontation with the forces of evil at work in the world as a regular rhythm of our lives. Retreat, rest, and reflection, the nurturing of healthy spiritual disciplines, an understanding of the gift of weekly worship as a regular pattern of our lives. Compassion-based, need-oriented, wise teaching and communication. And then practical and miraculous compassion ministries where God gives us the ability to meet the needs of other people. What a great life. What a great life. What a great life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.